I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I talk to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, sportsmen and women, politicians, businessmen, businesswomen and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Today's guest really does shape the very fabric of society. She is a lawyer specialising in European law and politics. She's had an outstanding career in the European Parliament, starting off nearly 10 years ago, serving as Malta's legal and judicial cooperation attaché within the permanent representation of Malta to the European Union. In April 2013, my guest became one of Malta's first female members of the European Parliament. And today she is first vice president, the first Maltese to reach such a revered status within the European Parliament. Roberta Mezzola is a change maker, but is also a wife, a mother and deeply passionate about what is right and standing up for those who have been wronged and cares a great deal about her homeland, Malta. Roberta, thank you so much for joining me here today on The Interviewer. And we, I have so many questions to ask you, but let's start off with your political career. Because you don't get to the position of first vice president of the European Parliament without making a great deal of sacrifices. And I'm sure also an awful lot of rewards. Tell me, what are the greatest rewards and sacrifices that you have seen on your journey to where you are today? To start off, I uh, was a candidate and started being involved in politics because I wanted Malta to join the European Union. So um, my passion started because of that. And everything and every step that I have, let's say, climbed along the way is thanks to that love for the country that you come from and the fact that I never believed that Malta was small. Malta is not a small country and we can reach everything and everywhere. So my message and my biggest reward is that every 12-year-old girl on this island can look at achievements of mine and other colleagues and so many other Maltese women and say, do you know what? I can do that too. Well, that's a fantastic reward and that's a fantastic message that you have. But tell me about the sacrifices because, as I mentioned in your introduction, you are also a mother, you're a wife, you are a lawyer. There must have been sacrifices along the way that you had to make. Yeah, I think it was extremely difficult at the beginning, uh, getting into politics, making people convinced that they should vote for you, a young woman with no history in politics, no no money, nothing, um, a little girl from Xira. And then progressively it got, let's say, more complicated as soon as I started to have my children. I ran a campaign with two boys, age two and one, and I took them all over the country. Uh, Malta and Gozo, everybody knew I had these two boys in my toe. And I must say that my biggest difficulty and challenge at the time was when rather than be asked about what my thoughts were, my policies, or what my vision was, how can you manage with those two poor boys? And I say, look at them, they're so happy. Today, those boys are 14 and 13. And if you had to ask them the same question, and they'd just say, yeah, you know, just remember being dragged all over the place, but mommy was always there. So that, I think, is my biggest reward, that I managed somehow. Don't ask me how, but I managed. 
<laughs> well, of course. I mean, you must have a, a really good support network with your husband. And now you're based in, in Brussels um, and you're away from the Maltese island. Is that, I know that we're going to come to your love of your homeland later on in this chat, but is that also a sacrifice? Is that also a challenge being away from Malta as much as you are? Because when you're here, you're straight in, do what you need to do and leave. Well, when, when it's, we're not in a pandemic, so at the moment we're slowly emerging from it, um, I would spend three days in Brussels and three days here. Uh, and I had gotten used to it. It takes a lot of organization, a very organized husband. He's from Finland, so the complete, the most organized country you can find. So I leave my, my diary uh, to him in terms of making sure that everybody is cared for. And I always have, usually I have my youngest son with me in Malta. So like last night I landed and we, we were very, very delayed, but I had this very, very little kid with me. Uh, and, uh, and that obviously increases the challenge. But it takes organization and it takes also let's say the love for what you do you know you wouldn't objectively do this if you had to look at someone dashing always in a rush like me from one country to another sometimes Strasbourg next month I need to go to Slovenia I need to go to Poland so it's going to be so complicated but I have a good setup uh, and uh, and the grandmothers help a lot I forgot to mention them and especially this past year I've missed that a lot I'm sure, absolutely. Well, listen, you mentioned just a second ago, you talked about being a mother and taking your two small children around when you were campaigning. Well, let's talk about women in politics for a second, because in Malta, we have such a poor representation of women within parliament, within government, within any political sphere. Tell me why you think that is. Why do we not have women in politics? I think it's primarily a cultural issue. Uh, but also an, an, a societal and economical one. I'll start with the first one. Until a few years ago, it was not automatic that somebody would vote for a woman. I experienced it myself in my first couple of elections that you would have to almost convince somebody twice, first to vote and then to vote for a woman. Whereas now, even with the results that we got at the European level, that is not even a, a question. Gender does not come into when you vote. You vote for the candidate you think is the best. But secondly also, in Malta, in the Maltese context, politics is part-time, which means that if you're a mother of young children, there is no way you can balance having a full-time career and knowing that in the evening you'd have to spend your time in Parliament, the hours have shifted a little bit now, but still part-time, and then the weekend you spend all your time doing politics because politics in Malta is so personal, it's so representative, which is fr frankly the best thing we have about our system. There's also then other factors that, that don't, perhaps are not immediately uh, seen, but if you, your alphabet is, is, if your letter of your, the first letter of your surname is very low down in the alphabet, and you know that it's going to take even harder for you to get elected. So you need to see um, all these factors that have contributed to the fact that so few women ultimately entered politics, but also eventually got elected. Now, what do I think are the solutions for this? Um, but to get the numbers up, I think we need more female candidates first. You need to have a choice. You can't say, I'm going to have 10 men in a ballot paper and one woman, and I expect all the women and all the men to vote for that one woman. I need to give them a choice where merit actually matters. Secondly, I think our parliament should be full-time. I think being a politician in Malta with a proper infrastructure, resources, where political parties are state-funded, where there's transparency, where there's accountability, where there are services for you to get your children cared for while you're doing politics. That takes the pressure off your domestic professional challenges that you have. 
So I think, as I said, cultural first, but then also societal and economical and personal finances that make a huge difference in, 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 in having whether a man aged, let's say, 45, enters the political arena versus a woman. But you're talking there about the logistics. You're saying, OK, we need to have more women. What do we say to women? What do you say to women listening to this to encourage them, to even plant that idea in their head? Because that's a whole journey. You just mentioned yourself. That is a very difficult journey. I think you need to say this to as many women when they are as young as possible, right? You need to put that seed in their, in their head that you can be a factor for change. The biggest problem we have in our societies is that people look at politics and politicians as though they're all the same. Why bother to vote? It doesn't matter. My vote doesn't matter. Once you do that, it's much more difficult to convince somebody to say, you know what, I'm going to stand up and fight for this rock. I'm going to fight for my country because I believe in it. We have a a great country that we we are so proud of and we're such a great people. So, but you need people to lead it. And you need to choose the right people to lead it. And if you don't stand up and be counted, you can't spend five years saying, you know what, what a rubbish situation we're in. I would like to make that difference. So I spend actually my time at the moment using this example. I have a lot of colleagues who are in local politics or in in leadership positions, even in private sector or public sector. And we actually seek out young women um, who are, you know, who, who, who are interested or passionate about something. We have so many young girls who are, who are so, let's say, vocal on the environment. Wasn't like that 10 years ago. So many young girls who are vocal on, on civil issues, on societal issues. We need to listen to them. The last thing we need is more decades of what we have had so far. And if anything, if I'd like to do anything about that, is to turn the tide. And I turn it, and this is my personal position, so here I need to put a caveat, is not by putting, um, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, fake methods of electing women to parliament, or let's say, things that will not necessarily result in more women being elected or more votes being given to women. I would like to see a society where people vote for the women that they think are the best. And I think one day, I have no doubt we will arrive there. Well, we were talking recently in a podcast about quotas and about feminism and, and feminism being a bad word because there is, you've just mentioned this, there is so often the idea of filling a quota and that doesn't necessarily put forward the right person. So you're talking about impassioning and empowering young women to get into politics. Absolutely. And that's going to create change. Let me just ask you this on this point of being a woman. Do you think that women in politics, in Malta, manage to have the same respect. I'm pretty sure in Brussels, you are not seen necessarily as a woman. You are seen as a politician, and the gender doesn't really come into it. Now, do you think in Malta that a woman going into politics will have to face challenges of being treated differently because of her gender, whether that be positively or negatively? You mentioned Brussels. I mean, even Brussels and the European Parliament is still very far away. Uh, There are efforts at the moment to make sure that whenever there's um, a conference or a debate or anything, that you have an equal representation of genders. We also have big debates about making sure minorities are represented, etc. But the biggest challenge that a woman faces is the hostility online and the aggression. 
Uh, and next month, in fact, in the European Parliament, there is a resolution that has been tabled by a number of female members of Parliament to specifically focus on the different type of aggression that women face, even in politics. And that, you can only talk about it if you experience it. So I spend my time trying to teach these young girls not to be afraid, but at the same time, make sure that responsibility is carried by my generation so that we don't engage in that hostility, that we don't engage in that polarization, in that division. I don't want to see my country as divided between red and blue. I would like my country to be divided in, in X and Y, you know, A and B. I don't care what political color you are. If you believe in something, you fight for it. And then the society can finally start to heal. At the moment, we are experiencing unprecedented levels of aggression. I can see it with the new female candidates uh, who are, you know, as the country gears up for an election. Uh, and I'm always the first one to call, to call them and, and mentor them. Don't worry, get through this. Those are either fake profiles. In fact, we fight a lot of disinformation. But there is a level of propaganda in this country that is extremely, extremely hostile and aggressive, mostly towards women and especially if they are young. But Roberta, you just said... You call these women and you tell them, don't worry, you'll get through it. I've seen the comments that have been focused on you. I've seen some of the hostility that you've received. How do you get through it? Well, first of all, if you believe in yourself, and that's the biggest challenge, that you need to, to, to believe that what you are saying and that what you stand for is the correct one. And if you believe it, then you can continue until you convince every last person in the world. So you know what I do sometimes? I call those persons who, who, are, who are in their own name, who are um, like insulting me mostly about some physical trait or because my hair wouldn't be in the, in the way they like or because my smile is too, is, is too large or anything. So I, if I find them and I see a name, I call. I find a number and I call. And that's the best part, that their reaction when you call and you say, hi, I'm Roberta Metzola, and I'm calling about this particular comment. Most of them say, it wasn't me. Oh, my word. It wasn't me. That's the first thing. So you call and them And I've out. actually called people who are high-level authorities in the, in the country, who are either in the military or in the police corps, uh, who uh, had written something like that. Uh, active duty, servicemen. Uh, and I called them out. And I called them directly. I don't go above them. I just... Good for you. And that's, that's, that's really, but it takes, you know, a lot to do that. But when you reach a certain level of, let's say, okay, now I've had enough. And because I want those to stop doing the same thing to someone who might not be so, let's say, thickened by the years of aggression that I have been at the receiving end of. And particularly, and here I must say it, when it is facilitated at the highest level of government and the media, then there is an atmosphere that is brought on also by the highest political levels. Uh, and that's what I fight, because I think that gives you um, an, a double responsibility to make sure that your citizens learn from you and are not incentivized by you to pick on someone. Just because you were told, you probably don't even know what I've said, but you were told, today, attack Roberta Metzola. It starts, you know, it starts, you could see it, it, it builds, but. Sometimes I call them, or I recognize them in the street, and I say, you once said that about me. I've done that wow. a lot of times. And then this guy said, no, it wasn't me. 
Of course they did. Of course they. I mean, that's the the case, isn't it? When you call somebody out, if they don't have social media platforms to hide behind, the chances are they are going to back down very, very quickly. I find it a cowardly way of bullying. It's keyboard warriors, you know. It's Absolutely. A new, a new type of keyboard warriors that 10 years ago we didn't have, or maybe 15 years ago. It's very new. Listen, that's an amazing example for young women. And you are setting an amazing example for young women because we do need more women in politics. Let's talk about Malta. Let's talk about politics for a second. What do you think right now is the great... This is a big, big question, Roberta, but what do you think right now is the biggest challenge that we are facing here in this country? I wouldn't put it down to one challenge. I would put it to a systemic impossibility of getting justice in this country, the fact that what politicians say are not acted on, that we have become a propagandist billboard country, there, behind which there is nothing. So I would like value-based politics to come back. That has disappeared. It's gone. Nobody looks beyond tomorrow. We're a boom and bust economy. How am I going to ensure that my children have a future that I can build on? How am I going to ensure that now, coming out of the recession, that, that, of the pandemic, that we don't uh, enter an economic slump that we can't come out of? How are we going to make sure that our young, young boys and girls who live in Gozo, we have given them all the possibilities that, that everybody who lives in Malta has? How are we going to make sure that digitally Malta is the best in the world? How are we going to make sure that when we say, oh, the debt, this famous, oh, it's really old, is it? And that what we, the investment we give in building new buildings, we give in restoring old ones. That for every tree that we pull out, we plant 20. That's what I would like for my country. And I will continue to say it until I have managed to do that. Because the minute you do that, everybody's pride comes through. Because you need to be proud of what you see around you. You need to be also you need to be also comfortable to say, that's wrong. It's wrong. And just because someone has paid you to say it's right, it doesn't make it right. Where you, you, can, you have equal access, everybody has equal access to everything. That it's not about who you know, but what you know. And most importantly, my last point, that our children are taught how to be creative thinkers that they can, from themselves, when they grow up, when my son will go to vote, when he's 16, that he will not have to ask me, mommy, who will I vote for, and how, and why will I vote for. We are currently having a big discussion in my family about my children, about meat-eating, vegetarianism, veganism, you know, and something that would have never happened in my uh, very traditional, conservative, let's say, family. But... It's making me think that I would like my children not to rely on me to give them their opinions. And so far, people still rely on their parents to give them their opinions or their immediate surroundings. The minute we start to treat every Maltese and Godzitin, man and woman, as an own singular entity that is part of a collective, then we can manage. At the moment, we are still very far away from that. But you mentioned that this is systemic which means that it is ingrained within society. How, you, you, these, are, these are brilliant, brilliant aspirations. How do we make this happen? We fight. We fight. And we convince persons by one by one by one. This is why politics in Malta is ultimately the biggest force for good. And I say this even though I've just said, look, there are big problems. But our system ensures that who you elect to represent you, you have voted for personally. 
So you, as an elected representative, are responsible and accountable towards that individual who voted for you. And you need to look that person in the eye after your mandate end, ends and tell him or her, I, have I done what you expected from me or have I not? And if I haven't because I couldn't, here I am explaining it. I'm not going to go on TV and, you know, pat myself on the back and say, oh, how great I've been. I'm not going to go on a, on a billboard and say, with me, you have, you know, permanent excellence. No, I need to convince you. And if I convince you in your house, within, within a meeting, at, at a desk, in a bar, anywhere, then one by one we'll manage. And what I meant by systemic is, yes, you have systems that haven't worked for decades. You have institutions that have been too happy with the power of incumbency. So we need to tackle that and challenge it. And I form part of a generation that did that when we joined the European Union, because we fought against the government of the time that wanted to keep us out. And we were out on the streets. In fact, you will see quite a lot of people who are my age who are still actively involved, because in, in all areas, in all political parties, actually, but also in civil society, in environmental NGOs, in, 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 in um, all, all sorts of other organizations, on all sides of the argument. But they are involved, because uh, when we were 16, that something sparked in us, that we needed to do something. And that's still there, that spark. Now, one day, it will be the, the one that matters into, into the flames of big change that we'll see. Is that one day going to happen in your lifetime? Well, I, I'll see that as, for me, every day. So every morning, I put that challenge to me and myself, that I need to make sure I am continuing to be a force for good, that I do not fall for the easy cynicism that sometimes you get, that sometimes you say, oh, you know, I'll postpone that to another day. So I um, spend my day making sure that what we have just said is possible today. And until that happens, I'm not going to stop. I am so thrilled to hear you say that. I love talking to you, Roberta. Thank you so much for making the time for me. Absolutely. And for making the time for the interviewer. Absolutely. Cheering you on and supporting you in what you do. Thank you. Thank you.